Hi, everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of teaching and learning. I'm Greg Baer, co-author of When You Wonder, You're Learning, Mr. Rogers' Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, Caring Kids. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, I'm talking with Carol Basile, Dean of the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College at Arizona State University. It's there that Carol's groundbreaking work to redesign the education workforce and improve teacher preparation continues to earn all sorts of acclaim. She's published books, blogs, academic articles, and more. And she works nationally and internationally to redesign education systems and enable organizational change. Carol, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow. Thank you, Greg. Happy to be here. We love having you here. So as we record this, Carol, it's the beginning of another school year. And my daughters are just starting seventh and fourth grade. And so I want to start with something that you've written. And let me add the caveat. You, I, we love teachers, right? Teachers are amazing. They're probably some of the most amazing people on planet Earth. And you've written this. You and your child walk or drive to school, or maybe you log on to the school's website to answer the big question of the school year. Who did you get this year? Is it the good teacher you've heard about from neighbors or that one? Year after year, we have accepted this game of chance as normal, but it needn't be, and it shouldn't be. Carol, what is it about the game of chance that reveals a deeper problem? We're expecting every single classroom teacher to be good at everything for every kid all the time. And that job description is just not humanly possible. So all of us have strengths, all of us have things we're really good at, all of us have possibilities, and all of us have things that we haven't gotten there yet, right? Or things that we just don't like. And so when we have this model of a one teacher, one classroom situation, organizational structure, right, for schools, then we're not actually giving kids or teachers the opportunity to be the best they can be. So let's talk about that pressure on teachers, this pressure to be all things to all kids and their parents, families, and caregivers, because it's a recipe for teacher burnout and attrition. For our listeners who haven't been teachers themselves, can you give us a sense of what that pressure looks like in practice? What are the demands? What are the expectations? Imagine, right, that you walk into a classroom and you've had some preparation. Even that is different for some people. They come through different kinds of alternative certification programs. They go through a university program. They may have just been hired because they have expertise and content knowledge. So all of those teachers start off with different levels of expertise and experience. And so when you say to them, here's a group of 25 kids or 35, or even, you know, people will rave about, oh my gosh, my kid's class only has 18 kids. Even 18 children who are all different, who all come from different backgrounds, who all come from different experiences, kids that have had just varying levels of education experience, COVID or not, all of that. And you say to that teacher, go teach them and get them to this level in reading, in math, in science, in social studies, in physical education, in music, in art. We ask them to do all of these things and pay attention to their socio-emotional learning, pay attention to their mental health, pay attention to all kinds of other things, right, that make a child whole. And if you can imagine trying to do that, people try to do that with their own kids, right, their own two, three, I don't know how many of children you have. But the fact is when you're trying to do that for everyone else's kids, it's almost impossible 
and do that extraordinarily well and get every kid to achieve everything they possibly can. I like when you say, think about your own kids, right? It's tough enough in a household with two, three, even one child, right? Imagine 18 or 25 or 30, because we know that no kid is alike. It is so hard. So you and your colleagues at Arizona State have set out to change this with something you call the Next Education Workforce Initiative. Now, before we get into what that is, can you tell us about the project's origins? What was the moment that set you down this path of rethinking teacher prep and redesigning the teaching profession? So I've been in teacher preparation now for a long time. And for many, many years, we have seen what's been happening in this profession, where we see a decline in people wanting to become teachers, and we're seeing an increase in teachers leaving quickly. And the conversations in most of the places that I sit have been continually about, oh my gosh, how are we going to recruit more teachers? What's the pipeline look like? Where are these kids? Can we get them out of high school? Can we get career changers? Can we find people, you know, in all kinds of places, right, to start recruiting? And then what do we do about retention? And so the conversations keep spiraling around recruitment and retention, like it's new news, like it's breaking news every time I hear it. As we started to think about this, and as I came here to ASU, we said, look, we have to look at this differently. We have to think about this and really get to what is at the heart of the problem that we're having. As I tell my students at graduation, there are no doctors, there are no lawyers, there are no engineers, there are no anything without teachers. So everything we do hinges on this profession, and we have to get it right, but we're not going to get it right in the kind of structure that we have. So we started to say, what if the real problem here, what if the real challenge is not a recruitment retention problem, it's a workforce development problem? That we had to start looking at the workforce in a very different way. So we looked at healthcare, we looked at technology, we looked at all kinds of other career fields to see what do they look like and how are people prepared and how do people have specialties and specializations. And how do we start to think differently about this constant tug around content and pedagogy and what does that mean? And could we think about this as a workforce design problem? So that's where it started. And that has now taken us, you know, in this very, very divergent direction. So let's talk about this because I love the way that you describe this as a design problem. Maybe the problem we think we've been tackling isn't the right problem at all. It's a totally different issue because... In the next education workforce initiative, you take that typical idea of a teacher. We all think of that teacher in front of that classroom of 18 or 25 or 30 kids, and you put that teacher on a continuum from community educators to professional educators to educational leaders. Can you walk us through this continuum, what it looks like? It sounds much more like teaching in a plaza. So first of all, what it does is it takes away the assumption of a one teacher, one classroom model. And that, at the heart of it, is the most important part because that is such a norm in our system. And we're hoping that that one teacher is of the highest quality we can get. So the minute that you shift that paradigm of a one teacher, one classroom model, we say, here's a group of kids. How do we build the right set of resources around them? And that's adults, that's technology. In Mesa Public Schools right here, where we have 41 schools that are now moving towards team-based models, they actually talk about dogs um, because they have, I think, 80 dogs in the district, right, which are part of teams. It's interesting. We had a game that we played with people. It's a card game. And we said, look, here's how much money you have. Because if we don't think about this, first of all, as, you know, as budget neutral, then we're a non-starter to begin with. 
what we say to people, here are the kids, and we give them this description of these kids, and then we say, all right, so now who do you need? What adults do you need and what specializations do you need? What expertise do you need? And how do we begin to differentiate expertise? Then you start to design different kinds of models around staffing in a much more strategic way. So now we think about, all right, now how do we build the workforce for that? I always say this is a play into acts. We have to change what schools look like. We have to reorganize what schools look like around kids. And then we have to think about how are we preparing educators so that it's not also a lot of professional learning that kind of goes by the wayside because people come and go. But this is actually about thinking about paraprofessionals in new ways, thinking about professional educators in new ways, and how they become team leads, and how we have advancement. So how do people enter, how do they specialize, and how do they advance? All right, Carol. So I'm imagining for a moment that I'm on a school board, and I hear what you're saying, but you know, I'm just stuck in my model of like who a teacher is. And I had teachers, and my parents had teachers, and this is how we do things. So who is my school district paying to be in these school buildings or these classrooms or these hallways? Like, who's there? We start with the same people who are there now. This isn't about bringing in a whole nother group of people, but we're going to look at people who are today, let's say, paraeducators. And paraeducators today, I think, are really, really underprepared. And so what would it look like, right, if we could actually give them specialties? And I want you to think a little bit about, I use healthcare as an example sometimes, how it's changed over time. You walk into a doctor's office or a hospital, there are a lot of people with specialties. And so when we start to look at that kind of workforce dynamic, we start with paraprofessionals. You can imagine paraprofessionals who are literacy accelerators, who are very good at working with small groups of kids, right, around literacy, or they have specialty in special education, or they have specialty in teaching certain parts of mathematics or providing wellness services to kids, so that they start to garner these kinds of specialties. Some of them are our students right now. So our students are teacher candidates who have to work. So we've said, what if we could actually create job descriptions for teacher candidates, right? Much like, you know, we think about these, they come in, they're paraeducators, look at what are their knowledge and skills that do they have, and how do we put them on a team to be able to use that knowledge and skills that they have? Then you think about professional educators. Now we're giving them specializations. So if I have populations of kids, right, in an indigenous community, I need teachers who have that kind of specialization. I also need people, right, who now understand refugee education because we've got so many refugee populations, migrant populations coming into our schools. I may need people who understand sustainability education. I may need people who understand computer science so that there needs to start with, you know, here's the general knowledge. We also need experts so that we can distribute expertise. And then some of those people become team leads, and we bring other people in then from the community. They may be people who are sitting out there in nonprofits who are underutilized in schools because they're waiting for kids after school. They may be people in industry that are industry experts who are coming in with knowledge that kids would not necessarily get from teachers or that teachers would necessarily have. So when you start building these teams, both of volunteers but also of the professional people who are in schools, now you start to get a much more robust team of people around your kid. And that then changes the dynamic of what's happening in our schools. This is Greg Baer. I'm talking with Carol Basile, Dean of the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College at Arizona State University. Carol, at Arizona State, 
the Teachers College is working with schools and other partners to implement some of the ideas that you've described. It's not just happening in some sort of academic stratosphere and written about in papers. This is actually happening in real life places, including Mesa, Arizona, which you mentioned a moment ago. 41 school buildings in the Mesa, Arizona school district. So can you give us even a little bit more color about this work? What does this look like in a place called Mesa? So first of all, let me give you some sense about Mesa is I think the 31st largest city, right, in the country. So this is not a small place. And this is a school district in which the superintendent put her flag in the sand a few years ago and said, we will have over 50% of our schools team-based within a few years. And that was, you know, right before COVID. And so we marched down this path, even through COVID and schools, it did extraordinarily well as a result of working in teams. And so this has been an interesting adventure, right? So it's Mesa, it's also a number of other school districts, some in Arizona and some other places internationally. We are on the ground trying to figure this out. So what's most interesting about this work is that we're seeing schools that have been doing this for three years or four years and schools that are just starting. But the amazing part of this is really the dynamic nature of what's happening in these schools. We're seeing schedules change. We see teachers being more satisfied. We see them building in time for planning. We're seeing them build in time for inquiry-based learning. We're seeing that you know all the kinds of things that we would hope to have happen actually can happen the minute that you start to break down that one teacher, one classroom model and people start to work in teams. So the goal of this isn't just about the grown-ups, And it is important, right? It is about making teaching more possible in the dynamic ways that our kids need our teachers to be dynamic. But it's also about making learning more personalized. Can you talk about what this means for the kids, for the students themselves? This is a change in working condition, no question about it. But it is also a change in the way that we think about how teachers can now deepen and personalize learning. And so those two things fitting together is really one thing. We see our teachers who now have the ability to take what is incredibly complex as people now start to work in teams with distributed expertise Now you can see where people start to feed on each other and they can rely on each other and they can see that a child like needs to learn in a different way and somebody has a different way of instruction than somebody else, they can come in and they can help that child. In a one teacher, one classroom model, you're kind of stuck with the knowledge, right, that those teachers know. And so in this way, you're getting the best of all of these educators all at one time, and then it changes what that learning environment begins to look like so that you can address what's happening with kids or that a kid needs something or that kids needs to be grouped or then regrouped as they learn and that it starts to personalize what happens. But as we've had teachers tell us, I know my 90 kids better than I ever knew my 25. Hmm. Who knows the families? Who understands what's happening in communities? How do we know what kids' interests are? How do we build different kinds of relationships? All of that changes the learning environment as well. Changes everything. Carol, from your viewpoint in Tempe, Arizona, right, you're looking at other systems, you're looking at other places, whether that's the healthcare system or what's happening among schools in the Netherlands. As you think about the next iteration of this work and where it needs to go, Where are you looking? Where are you finding particularly promising practices that are stirring your imagination? 
always say, you know, if educators keep talking to educators, we'll keep getting what we've always gotten. That doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, good things happening in education. I think we should look towards things like community schools. But I think we have to think about where are some things happening where it's actually much more integrated, that it isn't just bolting on things to an existing school. How do we bring all those people in, right, to work on teams around kids? I think we have to pay attention to what's happening then in technology. So how does technology then power instruction? But then how does technology also power the teams? How does technology then power, right, the systems, the HR systems of schooling and things like that so that we don't get stuck with systems that demand, where here's a group of kids and here's the teacher and that's all the blanks we give you. We've got to look towards technology and technology advancement. I also think we have to look at other fields and what other people do and how other people work together. I think in healthcare, a lot of the integrated healthcare systems that we see today, right, is, is building a system of care. How would that change the way that, that we advance and the way that we begin to think about the systems that we build around kids? I also think there are things happening in education around pods and around things that parents want for their kids. And how do we make sure that we're advancing, right, in those areas without saying this is an either or or debate about, you know, who's actually in charge of kids learning? Well, everybody's in charge of kids learning and everybody should have some say in that. But I think that's all how do we build teams, right? How do we in some ways think about teachers when we think about teachers, right, as a team? There's some opportunity there also for parents to be part of that team. And how do we look at what parents are needing and wanting today? So I think there are a lot of things out there that if we start really paying attention and we start noticing what's happening, I think we have a lot of opportunity. And we certainly have to start looking at the influences of climate and you know all the other kinds of things that are happening in our world that are going to create changing demographics in our schools. And Carol, I'm wondering if you'll help us close this conversation with a lightning round of questions. Are you ready for this? Yep, go ahead. Carol, you've got Pennsylvania roots. What do you miss most about Pennsylvania? Oh, big green trees. (laughs) What's one thing you'd say to a teacher who's considering leaving the profession? Oh, I think they should come help us rethink what the profession is. This is at the heart and soul of all of this, where we see people who are just leaving the profession that are burned out, that are crying in their cars in October. That We've got to find people who are willing to bring their team and come think very differently about this. And if they could, would they stay? What's one thing you'd say to a student who's thinking about entering the profession? It's still the world's most important profession. We say that every day. It's on our T-shirts. It's, it's everything. How can people find out more about the work that you and your colleagues are doing? Well, they should very simply Google Next Education Workforce, and they will find us there. They'll find everything about our information sessions, our learning cohort, our launching cohorts, and our new book called Next Education Workforce. And Carol, before we go, we have just one more question. What's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner? I think they have to think about how they're working on a team with their educators. This can't be left up to just thinking that teachers can know and be able to do all things for all kids. So I think this has to be a joint effort. And I think we have to, as you would say, you know, think about kids' curiosity, their creativity, and the possibilities of human potential. But they've got to work together to be able to do that, or we don't have an education system. Thanks again to Carol Pasile. Dean of the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College at Arizona State University. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning, 
Learn more at remakelearning.org.